1: welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're taking a look at Black Widow, released in July 2021. Well, that's a bit of a story in itself. When, if you preferred, you could have gone to see Ken Loach's Somebody Missed You on Netflix rather than in the cinema, presumably not followed by a viewing suggestion for Spider-Man Far From Home, Martin Scorsese starting principal photography on Killers of the Flower Moon, or Jennifer Aniston promoting the Friends Apartments Lego set on Instagram instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and here's what I had to say about Black Widow after I saw it. Nearly 18 months ago, I was sent the Lego Black Widow helicopter rescue set in the hope that I'd mention it on social media, which I did, and then, well, you know the rest... Now I finally know why they've got a monkey old Soviet helicopter and what all the stuff in that box was all about. And was it worth the wait? Yes it was. That's what I had to say about it though. And joining me to give his thoughts on Black Widow is quiz expert David Smith. David, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DVDsmith.
0: I also play video games on Twitch using the same username and I'm also I've got a YouTube channel under the same username as well so uh, come and follow me on all those.
1: Okay, so before we go any further, David, what happens in Black Widow?
0: Well, I can sum up quite succinctly this film is basically an origin story for Natasha's snazzy vest from Infinity War.
1: No further questions, I hope that'll do. Okay, so David, how much did you know about Yelena Belova and Red Guardian before you saw this film? I knew
0: nothing at all, which may surprise anyone who's heard me on any of these episodes before i knew nothing at all going in and i feel like for a couple of them i knew very little when i came out of the film as well i was left with a lot of questions from black widow which i don't feel the film answered entirely but i did know about the black widow program and the sort of the red room and things like that because it had been an agent carter of course but yeah basically i knew nothing about natasha romanov's backstory or her family or any of the other characters that were part of the black widow program
1: well i'm not surprised you felt like you didn't know that much much about some of them coming out of it, because there were quite odd choices as characters, really. But we'll come back to that, because the thing we've got to deal with first is the fact that this was originally set to come out in May 2020. Now, this episode was going to be recorded then, immediately after it. I originally had a female guest lined up for it, you know, for obvious reasons. But when it came to... I mean, it wasn't even this time. It was when it, like, it was going to come out in November. She actually said, it needs to be somebody who really understands why you're so... Ex- Exercised about the fact it's been delayed so many times. That kind of leads me in the position where we are going to have to talk about the fact that this very heavily raises some women's issues in it, so we will do our best. I apologise for that in advance, but the thing was, like I say, it was supposed to come out then, obvious reasons, but it was postponed four times. I first saw a trailer for this in March 2020, you know, just a teaser trailer. I saw a trailer again when, you know, when cinemas reopened briefly over the summer last year. When everyone went to see. Tenets and that was it. Yes, a couple of people were brave enough to put out things like Fast and the Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, Bill and Ted faced the music, which is great, but they didn't put this out. My feelings that will become important in a minute, because there was talk at one point of it only coming out on Disney Plus at four times the price of a cinema ticket. Now, I remember, because I felt that that was kind of... It was a different case, because it had been delayed a couple of times. They'd opted out of, can't really say greed, but wanting to make money, not to put it out when they could have done and I raised objections on Twitter and immediately got a lot of people saying to me don't you understand how the mechanics of filmmaking work you're stealing out the lighting engineer's pocket and things like that I didn't see it as that kind of situation it's interesting that most of those same people a couple of months later were absolutely livid that they'd have to subscribe to Disney Plus to see Peter Jackson's Beatles documentary <laughs> yeah you know, it wasn't going to be hand delivered to the house by Paul so it's kind of interesting that what is and is considered valid to get exercised about access to
0: yeah it's interesting because i wanted this to be the first film that i saw in the cinema after everything shut down you know the last film that i saw in the cinema i can still remember it, it was a romantic valentine's day night out for me and my three male friends to go and see sonic the hedgehog which i don't know if you <laughs> noticed sonic the hedgehog the highest grossing superhero movie of 2020 because technically that counts as a superhero movie apparently that's how bad in last year was but yeah i was just i was following this saga for a long time and you know everyone. Was was talking about how You know people were doing Campaigns for cinemas Particularly independent cinemas To try and keep them open And particularly MGM Kept delaying James Bond Because everyone thought That the James Bond movie Is going to save The cinema industry And then they kept Delaying it again and again Because obviously They wanted to make Their money back I wouldn't have been happy If they'd put it on Disney Plus As much as I wanted to see it I feel like Natasha Deserves a cinema release You know after What is it 11 years of knowing This character And all the sort of Kind of the politics Of why she didn't get a film until now. I wanted her to have her moment on the big screen. And the fact is, they opted for the best of both worlds because unlocking after COVID, unlocking after vaccines, rather, is a messy process and every country is doing it at their own pace. The countries that have cinemas open can go and see it in the cinema, but the countries that don't, and, you know, some countries don't have Disney Plus either, but, you know, the countries that have Disney Plus but are still locked down, they can see it too. It was also kind of, it helped that Black Widow wasn't the first film to be trialed like this because I can't. I can't remember which one it was before it was i think it was mulan was the first one where i think they were charging something like was it 30 dollars or 25 pounds or something like that and it didn't do very well and so i think i think black widow's priced at 20 pounds and i don't know whether you get sort of unlimited access to that or if that's like a rental or what but i'm glad that they waited long enough and then just sort of say okay we've waited as long as we can we can't let the rest of the mcu be held up by this and black widow's kind of a special example i suppose i should actually go into what the plot is after my sort of Joke earlier. But Black Widow is kind of a special exception because it's a prequel, really. It's not being set after all the films that have come before. It's set almost immediately after Captain America Civil War. It's set in 2016. And outside of the post credit scene, it's set entirely within that time. So it's a film that sort of could have been released really at any time. And if I'm honest, I probably would have enjoyed it a little more had it been released in 2016. But, you know, we'll come on to that. So I think they just felt, you know, we've delayed everything else. And we haven't had an MCU film in the cinema for two years and we're now at the point where everything has been backed up to the point where we're now getting four or five within the next six to eight months. I was so happy that I got to see Natasha have her big moment on the big screen and that it wasn't just a fact of because it's Marvel's second film with a female protagonist I mean it wouldn't have sent a very good message if that had been the first film that they'd sort of confined to the living room and hadn't put in the cinema. I think they wanted to do Natasha justice they wanted to do Scarlett Johansson justice having been sort of the side cat for all these years. So I'm glad that they waited until she could get some kind of a theatrical release. And from the box office that's come out so far, it seems like they're obviously not going to do insane numbers, but they're doing decent box office from what I can tell. I think people have been waiting for this film for a long time and not just because of the pandemic.
1: Well, it's outperformed The Fast and the Furious 9, apparently, which I didn't expect. That's an indication that people are going to see it. People were looking forward to it. And I agree with everything you said there. I think it will really as you say, you've sent out a bad message of Scarlett Johansson's probably one starring movie, the MCU, hadn't had a full proper release. Yeah. There's another interesting adjunct to that, which is to do with the fact that, you know, it needed to be in the cinema. It needed to be the cinema experience. And I can illustrate that exactly because, you know, I'd already booked a ticket for the first showing at the Odeon on the day it came out. And then a local art house cinema announced they were going to have it from 10 a.m. onwards. I thought about it for a bit and I thought, do you know I'm going to go to that because I just don't want to risk being spoiled after all this time now this is a very very highbrow cinema very arty with kind of what you would call oh people tend to go there and (laughs) the interesting thing was first of all something went wrong that they weren't anticipating and the trailers and the adverts didn't kick in and they had to usher everyone into the cinema except you know you've got that as we'll come back to that opening in the mid 90s where it's got them as a pretend family in Ohio and it looks a bit like an independent arty film, and it's all about kind of family relations at first. And I was thinking, have I ended up in the wrong screen? Is this one <laughs> of their other arty films? And it was only really when the Shield bands appeared that I thought, oh, right, yes, yes, this is Black Widow after all. Yeah, it was uncertain for a bit, but the other thing was the audience there did not react at all. And because, as again, we'll come back to there's a lot of very bleak and downbeat and depressing themes in this film. I actually found it very oppressive. I didn't like I liked it but didn't enjoy it in the way I expected if you see what I mean and I came out and I thought that's not the film that's the audience I'm still going to go to the Odeon in the afternoon and I did and people were cheering people were screaming laughing when Red Guardian put his arms around them and said how proud he was of his daughters having killed so many people <laughs> people gasped at the post credit scene because they really didn't see that coming and that is what the cinema should be forget your campaigns to ban popcorn and nonsense like that there are films that are made for shared experience and things like this are oh yeah and you would not get that
0: in a living room unless it's something like a big football match where you might hear someone else through the wall if there's a goal scored
1: you don't hear people cheering moonlight through the wall <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh in an ideal world in an ideal <laughs> world i went to see it with three friends sadly we didn't get the same kind of reaction it wasn't exactly end game because i think there were about a dozen people in this big cinema it is interesting how different people have had different reactions to this film because i've reading comments and even just talking to my friends after the film one of them said it was brilliant and the other one said it was watchable and i think that's kind of sums up how i feel like there were parts of it that i really liked and there were parts of it where i'm sort of just asking questions and saying have i missed something here it's a very sort of i think the pacing is different to your average mcu film because this is very much of it's i mean i was going to say it's a family movie it's not it's very violent but it's a film about a family and you know we're not talking fast and furious family here (laughs) where they talk about family every three minutes it's a film where you have an action sequence and then you'll have maybe 20 minutes of them sat at a dinner table just talking. The film has its incredible action sequences obviously, I mean I think the skydiving sequence at the end was phenomenal, but there were parts of it where I was thinking this is not the kind of MCU film i time used to and in some ways that was very good because it was refreshing and in other ways I'm thinking hmm, I'm not entirely sure what to think of this they're spending a lot of time with the characters without answering a lot of questions. I'm kind of mixed I feel like I need to see it a few more times to be able to give you a, like a full opinion of it, but they did answer the questions that I wanted about Natasha's past they finally showed us what happened in Budapest we've been asking that question for a decade (laughs) what happened in budapest there was that one scene in age of ultron that a lot of people didn't like about the fact that she mentioned her training as a black widow and how she got sterilized and things like that i think she has a flash it's not a flashback it's a wanda induced vision for want of a better word of her in the ballet school it ties into Agent Carter in terms of we learn more in that about the actual Black Widow program admittedly that was the 40s but it did make me th- there were a few things where I was thinking you know I'm very much a Marvel a sort of new to all of this all these characters I've never seen them before I've never read a comic in my life as I've established but I've still seen enough MCU to know that there are going to be some people watching this film that are going to have no clue what's going on and I think there are parts of the exposition that could have been a little clearer the opening credits scene which is quite harrowing it's brilliant but it's very harrowing where they show all these girls getting kidnapped and getting trained up and they're sort of being turned into these high skilled spies and agents and i did wonder how much is the casual audience going to realize what's going on here we know that from agent carter but how much would they realize is being set up just by that one opening sequence really
1: well you've got a point there because there's a lot of imagery in this film related to kind of the sort of things you see in documentaries about human trafficking and so on which is Know, yeah. makes a really good point about this and you know there is a kind of a lot in this about there's that really chilling line when Dracov says the one thing the world has too much of girls you know and it's all about the idea that you know there might be trained assassins and they might have had to some extent good lives because of it there are some kinds of swings and roundabouts to it but it's the whole thing about they're just treated as commodities commodities for all but commodities by men and yeah you know it is kind of it's building on stuff that's not been explored in that way the previous movies I mean you mentioned the reference in Age of Ultron to the sterilisation which is kind of played in sort of a tragic romantic sense in that you know that she wants to be with Bruce Banner but she can never have children and yeah, that makes and... a whole bad, but in this they make a joke out of it embarrassing there in the bed as father the Red Guardian by talking about exactly what was taken out of them and laughing about it
0: yeah well I mean it's kind of played for laughs but it's also kind of sort of because this is very much a female dominated film even more so than Captain Marvel I think the Red Guard is the only male character that has more than maybe 10 or 15 minutes of screen time and him in it I mean this was a question I was wondering what age is he exactly meant to be because David Harbour is 45 but he has daughters that are sort of early 30s late 20s so I was I'm guessing he's meant to be sort of in his 60s really but he is that kind of man who will make a really sexist time of the month joke and then he will recoil in disgust when the women he's talking to actually give him a gynecology lesson and it's kind of he gets put in his place and they were trying trying to make up for the line in age of ultron because a lot of people did not like that line because they were basically saying that natasha has this one emotional moment where she talks about her backstory and they reduce it to she's a woman who's sad because she can't have kids they have this kind of line about her saying you're not the only monster here and some people interpreted that to mean that she thinks that she's a monster because she can't have kids and a lot of people thought that that just wasn't on so they do kind of play off that with humor but it's also kind of supposed to show that yeah you're right they're treated as this sort of expendable disposable resource really it's interesting because like i say this is marvel's second film with a female protagonist but it's also marvel's first film where the superhero doesn't have any powers it's really interesting how they've done that where the second film with a female hero in captain marvel the title character is super powerful possibly the most powerful hero we've ever seen to that point point. and her whole thing in that film is i don't need to prove anything to anyone and in black widow you know to paraphrase avengers endgame she has no powers she has no suits it's It's just her and that's enough. Rather than not having to prove anything, she doesn't have to rely on anything. She doesn't have to rely on anyone. It's just her and her wits and her skills. And I think that's a really interesting sort of change. It's a different way of approaching the sort of the feminist superhero film. And particularly with the fact that she's now got her sister as well. And the two of them are fending for themselves and just relying on each other. And they do break their father figure out of prison. But they're not relying on anyone else. They're doing it all themselves. I think that was really, really interesting and really cool to see because this is basically a spy film this is basically a Bond film at this point or a Bourne film it's not a superhero film in the traditional sense you know I think Red Guardian is the only one that has superpowers by the way why does he have superpowers they're used once in the airport and then never used again really from what I can tell
1: well it's a little bit vague because as far as I'm aware I mean there have been several Red Guardians in the comics but obviously they've chosen to use the late 60s version here but the Red Guardians do not have a super soldier formula they are just really tough Soviet bastards. Right. Who can okay. do things like smash through walls and so on just because they're that well trained. I kinda wondered, because there is that scene in the prison where he's daring people to arm wrestle him. Yes. Yeah, they breaks would one not think guy's they wrist. could beat him if You know, they were aware that he was this legendary super soldier as strong as Captain America. They'd leave him alone. So I'm wondering what they were actually doing there, whether at one point they thought he was a super soldier and thought, oh, hang on, he's not, and scaled it back.
0: Yeah, because it seems like they were sort of setting him up because he talks about having this fight with Captain America. He's talking in the prison about it. And he even asks Natasha and Yelena about it. And I don't know whether he's deluded himself so much that he actually believes that he did that or whether he did fight another Captain America that we don't know about. You know, maybe it was... Isaiah or maybe it's another one that we haven't seen yet but it did seem like he was being set up as being the sort of the Soviet or the Russian equivalent of Captain America but it's never really explained and then all of a sudden he's just he's undercover in America with his so-called wife and his so-called children and like I say when they're escaping he flips out is it a shipping container or it's some kind of truck or something he flips it just with his bare hands and he breaks a guy's wrist while arm wrestling in the prison but other than that he doesn't really do very much and I think the there are a couple of characters in this film, and thankfully Natasha and Yelena are not these characters and I'm very grateful for that because their characters are incredible and they get so much great stuff to do. But there are two characters in particular that don't seem to get very much to do. Shall we talk about Taskmaster? Yes, it's interesting because I should have really said in the intro, how much did you know about Taskmaster before you <laughs> saw this? Well, you know, insert obligatory Greg Davis joke here, I knew nothing about Taskmaster when the film was announced and they revealed who was going to be in it. And then I played the Spider-Man PlayStation game that came out a couple of years ago. If any of you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's got a fantastic story and you don't even need a PlayStation. You can watch the entire thing on YouTube. He appears in that as a sort of side character that sets you challenges across New York for like defusing a bomb or something like that. And at one point you do fight him and the fight is incredibly, it's one of the hardest in the game because he can mimic every move that you make. Then I sort of learned a bit more about the character and how that sort of Taskmaster's thing is that they can copy the moves of other heroes. We see a little bit of that at the beginning, because I think you do see the Taskmaster using Captain America's shield throw, you see it using Bucky's knife flick, and I don't know if that means that the Taskmaster has fought them, or whether it's sort of just, you know, watched YouTube videos, you know, they've done a bit of their own sort of home learning as it were.
1: Ah, I can actually answer that, having seen it twice, which is that if you look carefully, you can just about see Taskmaster watching footage from the fight from Civil War, with like sort of bootleg time codes on it and so on. Okay, well that's one of the questions answered then, alright then. Also, is that the footage at the street was selling in Luke Cage. Oh really? Yeah that's a good or,
0: or maybe they've hacked into Peter Parker's whole movies but it's interesting because the thing that came to mind immediately when looking at Taskmaster and the fact that Taskmaster is this faceless sort of creature that just shows up and attacks the main characters it put me in mind of Bane from Batman and Robin where they're just this kind of beast that has no lines in the whole film and from what I can tell online fans of that character who wanted to see that character are not happy with how it was it, it seems to get the same sort of reaction as Trevor Slattery did. I mean, Taskmaster didn't die at the end, so it is possible that we could see them again. But at the same time, it felt they felt a bit underutilised to me. So yeah, I didn't really know what to make that because it felt like, especially at the end, it was all over very quickly.
1: Well, I had mixed feelings about that because part of me felt that the idea that when Taskmaster finally takes the mask off, it's Olga Kurilenko, you know, who hasn't just been Bond girls and so on. You know, she's been fantastic actress in things like Death of Stalin and Second Psychopaths. The idea of getting some Somebody, as good an actress as she might be is known for her looks to appear in kind of a robotic costume throughout it and then hideously disfigured when she reveals herself it is a great joke, but it's selling her short to give her just yeah. about three lines, most of them delivered lying on the ground as well. And it's kind of it's having its cake and eating it, really. It put
0: me in mind of Deathlock from Agents of Shield, sort of the way that she's she's got sort of one working eye and things like that. And you know, there were a few characters in this film that I feel like they focused so much on the relationship between Natasha and Yelena and their you know parents that I feel like the other characters in the film kind of fell by the wayside and that's not necessarily a bad thing because you know Natasha got so much in this film to do and I loved that because I loved the fact that she was getting all this having been the side character in Iron Man 2 the side character in Winter Soldier you know outside of her sort of leading the Avengers at the beginning of Endgame she's always been kind of at the side of it all particularly in Avengers 1 where people were talking about how it was Iron Man, Captain in america thor the hulk and the other two i was so happy that she got the attention that she got in this but it did mean that for example ray winston's villain shows up at the end has maybe two scenes and is gone taskmaster has two fight scenes two chase scenes and then at the end has three lines and then the other characters like her contact the agent uh, who i keep wanting to call nick mason (laughs) um, (laughs) which is a it's a hell of a secret agent role if he's been undercover as the drummer from pink floyd for 40 years but i think it's rick mason is his name
1: rick mason yes no yeah just as the agent in comics who, yeah, he's really underused in it. I mean, there's even a hint that you know, there's a past romance between him and Natasha which it's kind of not even really explored properly. And the other odd thing is that in the comics, he's the son of the Tinkerer. Now, the Tinkerer was one of Adrian Toomes' gang in Spider-Man Homecoming. It's safe to say given that they're more or less the same age in different races that they're not going down this route.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because the Tinkerer is the main villain in the Spider-Man Miles Morales PlayStation game. The final battle in that is between miles morales and the tinkerer so yeah we still have not really explain the plot have we natasha's on the run after the end of civil war and i think this entire sequence this entire film possibly seems to take place around the same time as when captain america and iron man are in siberia because she talks about her friends still being in prison so she's on the run after what we presume is the battle in germany and she goes to norway and then this guy just shows up and gives her a caravan and gives her a generator that doesn't work and gives her moonraker on dvd and then she's immediately she's sort of attacked in the first of what I think are a, a couple of car accidents that I don't think a normal person would have really survived that's a brutal crash her van is blown up completely and for the one film in Marvel that the hero has no powers you know she's just very very highly skilled and then for her to survive to what would probably have been lethal car crashes did kind of take me out of it a little bit but anyway she gets attacked on this bridge in Norway and she finds a bunch of vials of red liquid and a photograph of her as a very young girl with her sister and she finds out that her sister is sent these to her and these are basically these red vials of liquid are the antidotes to remove the mind control that the Black Widows are under and basically free them from their life of service because I think it's implied and I don't know if this is correct but I think it's implied that after Natasha escapes and defects to S.H.I.E.L.D. is when they implement the mind control for the rest of them to make sure that they can't escape I think that's what's going on and this is basically Yelena who's also a Black Widow has sent these antidotes to sort of free the rest of them and to end the program altogether and so she travels to Budapest meets up with her sister and they go and break her I keep saying father they're not they're a fake family that's been put together to be undercover agents they
1: are but I think the really interesting thing is that most of the MCU is predicated on dysfunctional destroyed families whether it's Tony Stark and Howard Stark's relationship or Star-Lord losing his mother or there's a weird thing to the relationship between Black Panther and his father there's Luke Cage's family background Iron Fist Daredevil the Punisher Nebula and Gamora their father is the main villain of you know 20 odd films effectively that's daddy issues yeah Ant-Man and the Wasp are both divorcees Thor that family we do a whole podcast on Captain America's an orphan Peggy Carter had issues with the family that made her go into the military the only family that seems to work is this totally fake put together one of four people who don't know each other undercover and it takes a while but they actually they function and they care about each other in their traditional roles. I found that really interesting. Yeah and
0: it's not often that you see that and I think because the only other scene when they break their father, David Harbour's character, Red Guardian, out of prison and then they go and meet up with their mother who's Rachel Weiss, and they have this scene in Rachel Weiss's house where they're just sitting around a table for 20 minutes and there's a bit of exposition about the Red Room and about the mind control and everything like that but mostly it's just them sort of talking about old times and catching up after two decades of separation and the only other scene in the mcu that i could think of that was like that is in age of ultron where they go and see hawkeye's family and they all just have what quite a lot of people seem to think is the dullest scene in the whole film i actually quite like that scene because it sort of it brings them down to earth and it makes them more human there were parts of it in black widow where they are just bickering as a family and particularly when yelena goes off to the bedroom and Alexei follows her and they start singing american pie because that's the song that they sang when they were very young
1: i can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride
0: something touched me deep inside
1: the day the music died and they were singing bye Miss America (laughs) Rove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee well, was dry. And good old boys <laughs> drinking whiskey, singing, this will be the day that I This will be the day
0: that's just a wonderful moment that you know admittedly is ruined by the fact that the red room come and capture them but it's just the little moments like that and the scene where yelena and natasha are talking outside when they're having beers after the chase through budapest you know those little scenes again the pacing felt a little off because those scenes were so long but it felt nice you know it It felt like a scene that and maybe i've been sort of spoiled by the fact that we've had three disney plus shows but it did feel like a scene that you'd normally get in a television show i'm thinking in particular you know we're recording this the day after the loki finale in which there quite a lot of just sort of character conversation and characters are developed and it felt like a scene from a television show where they'd spend sort of 20 minutes just developing a character because they have the time for that. Whereas when you've got a two hour film there's a lot that needs to happen and there's a lot of characters that need to be introduced and developed all within a relatively short space of time and it feels like they focus on these characters because these are the core characters this is the family that matters at the expense of everything else.
1: Well I think as well Black Widow suffered from not being released when it was supposed to be because i think one thing that people aren't really aware of is the whole order of the films and tv shows has changed so this was originally supposed to be the curtain raiser and i can see it working much more effectively not that i didn't think it was a tremendous film but if it had just been that first thing and i think the order was originally black widow and then shang chi and then wandavision although maybe eternals was even before that but the way around it's happened is we've had wandavision we've had the falcon and the winter soldier and We've had Loki, all of which have had moments that have sent people absolutely overboard in reaction to it. You know, whether it was the what is grief if not love persisting line or the cliffhanger with John Walker killing the terrorist and practically everything about Loki. It wasn't designed to... People might laugh at this, but they think very carefully about what goes where with these films and TV shows. It was not designed to appear between the fifth and sixth episodes of Loki. It just wasn't meant to happen that way. And I do think it suffers. I also thing. They've said that it's not been altered since the original proposed release. I notice at least two bits where I think things are being cut. Did you also notice that?
0: The very first thing I noticed was that at the end of the film after she said goodbye to her family you see General Ross roll up with about ten, 10 black vans ready to swoop in and it just fades to black and then it cuts to two weeks later where she's on a Quinjet off to rescue the rest of the Avengers from the raft and it definitely feels like there would have been something there.
1: Well, originally Robert Downey Jr. was confirmed to be in this specifically as Iron Man. Not as Tony Stark, as Iron Man. And obviously he's not in it. I thought all along it's going to be a cameo. It might even just be his voice. That Logically, it would be where he would make an appearance. He couldn't have pulled her away from under Thunderbolt Ross's nose because you know he was still on their side. But some kind of intervention or leading her off somewhere or something like that. That's a good
0: point. I had completely forgotten that Robert Downey Jr. was meant to be in this because it had been confirmed that he was going to appear. I wasn't sure if it was archive footage or if it was going to be like a voice cameo or something. But I do remember that and being surprised when he wasn't. But yet it did feel, particularly when they had that scene at the beginning where they were setting up that she was on the run from him, and then. She she says i've called in when they bring the red room down she says i've told ross where my location is so they'll be on the way assuming that ross is going to come and apprehend the red room and all this and and then she will just escape in the crossfire but it did feel like there wasn't that payoff you just see one shot of him in a car and then he's never mentioned again and then she's just she's escaped from what is a smoldering field somewhere in russia i believe and then it's just like okay i guess she got away then which i don't understand why she wouldn't get on the plane with the rest of them you know i don't exactly know what's going on there although apparently I read this a couple of days ago that David Harbour and Rachel Vise have signed up for multi-picture deals with Marvel so they may appear again having said that that doesn't mean anything because Aaron Taylor-Johnson signed a multi-picture deal with Marvel and was killed off in his first film who knows what happens there and then there's the post credit scene as well which I actually think and I don't know if it was edited afterwards but I actually prefer it this way round after
1: Falcon and the Winter Soldier well there's an interesting thing to mention just before we get onto that which is you obviously didn't notice I think I might be the only person watching it who did. It cut straight into the scrolling credits. There were no M-boards. Yes. I think the only other film that's happened with I think was The Incredible Hulk, but I, I haven't gone back to check that, I'll admit. But even all the Disney Plus shows have got them as well. I can't see that in a film starring Scarlett Johansson not being M-boards. So were there some that led into a mid credit scene that they've had to remove, probably for continuity? Well, I was wondering that, or I was wondering if,
0: because I feel like they this is marvel's take on a james bond film and the fact that at the start you've got the opening sequence and then you have the title credits with a song over it which is it's a smells like teen spirit cover which is brilliant and i just think that this was marvel's sort of attempt at doing a sort of james bond film because there are a couple of sequences in this that feel right out of james bond like the prison in the in siberia in in the snow felt straight out of golden Eye. and then the reveal of the red room in the sky where it emerges from the clouds is almost taken straight from moonraker where they reveal the space station in the sky as well like it's the same sort of panning down and slowly revealing it and i just feel like you know between that and the the motorcycle chases and everything like that i felt like this was marvel's attempt at a james bond film and i think that is why it is the first film certainly in a long long time to have the credits at the beginning rather than at the end i think that was the reason for it but there could have been a mid-credit scene it did seem like it was it was kind of weird you see the plane fly off and then the film kind of pans down into the trees and it feels like it's sort of transitioning but then it just ends and I don't know whether that was just me seeing something that wasn't there but it it felt like maybe they were going to transition because they do a couple of those smooth transitions at different points where they go from one scene to the other I was wondering if maybe they were going to transition to her maybe visiting her mother's grave or something like that we'll say what happens in the post-credit scene is that Yelena is visiting her sister's memorial I guess because it's not a grave because Natasha's body didn't come back but she's visiting her grave and she leaves flowers and she does the most heartbreaking thing where the two sisters have this sort of whistle callback where they do where one of them whistles and the other one replies and she does it to the gravestone and there is no response and then all you get is Julia Louis-Dreyfus blowing her nose (laughs) as loudly as possible ruining the moment entirely and then she starts talking to Yelena as if she knows her and says you've got a new job to do and you know does Yelena say something like I don't work for you or you know something that implies there's some kind of relationship established there
1: she wants to I think.
0: She wants a raise okay so yeah so they do have an established relationship and she hands Yelena her next target this is Allegra, de- Val- Vanessa Allegra de Fontaine is that her name?
1: Valentina Allegra de Fontaine.
0: I keep saying Vanessa but I don't know where <laughs> I keep getting Vanessa from. you got yeah. it
1: from Daredevil. Possibly yeah. Vanessa! <laughs> That's a crossover I want to see. So
0: Valentina says how would you like to go after the man who killed your sister and hands her a picture of Hawkeye and this is a character Valentina who was introduced in Episode 5 of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier And she recruits John Walker And it seems like she's putting it together her own team Now we don't know yet her intentions We don't know if she's good or evil She has been Madame Hydra at some point in the past But she's also been an ally of Nick Fury At some point in the past So we don't know her intentions But it seems like she is putting together some kind of team Where Yelena might be on that And I don't know This might be an MCU first And we don't know for sure Because we don't know what Far From Home's post credit scene was teasing But this might be the first teaser in a movie that's teasing a television show because Yelena is rumoured to show up in Hawkeye
1: it's actually confirmed now is is it confirmed okay right
0: as far as I can tell this is the first time that a movie has teased a TV show and that just shows how much they're integrating the two I can't wait to find out what happens in Hawkeye now
1: well I meant to bring in there's the whole debate at the moment which I'm not even going to get into because I think everyone espousing the other opinion is wrong about whether the old (laughs) TV shows count or not it is interesting how you know again it's the same people who will go on and on saying you know well I didn't like Iron Fist therefore he should be recast they went however many movies it was not liking Hawkeye but you know they're not calling for him to be recast not saying he should be but you know it's a bit kind of make your mind up mate I know the thing that struck me in this was they used the photostatic veils which obviously were much more heavily used in Agents of Shield that's the first thing I thought of when I watched it I didn't think oh yeah Winter Soldier I thought oh yeah Agents of shield and there was that thing recently where marvel put out that kind of trailer thing celebrating you know how many years it is of the movies which starts with a crowd scene from agents of shield
0: yeah i saw those masks and i went oh yeah i remember those the main thing that i remember them for is i think it's season two of agents of shield where Mm -hmm. there's a a character agent agent she's got a number in her name i can't remember but Agent um,
1: 33 agent
0: 33 i think so yeah where she she disguises herself as melinda May and the mask sort of takes damage and sort of half her face is missing it's one of those ones where you do forget about it until they bring it back but yeah i think we're going to get an answer to that question fairly soon there are rumors going around about charlie cox being in stuff and like maybe what if might answer a couple of those questions but people are arguing about stuff that i don't think really matters you know it just enjoy the show exactly i mean to be fair we're doing a podcast where we're asking all these questions that never got answered in this film but there are times where you just sort of have to back off and just sort of enjoy it for what it is and not really question about you know The mechanics of the time travel In Endgame And whether Captain America Went back in time Or whether he went to An alternate parallel universe Or whatever And you just have to Sort of you know In Feige we trust
1: Well my bottom line is That you know It might take some fiddling About with storylines to sort of back in But in those previous TV shows There are great characters And great actors That at the very least It is worth not erasing them From history Yeah Even if it doesn't mean Bringing say Chloe Bennett's Quake back She deserves to have a place in the MCU
0: yeah and I hope that they realise just how popular those characters were I mean they even have a line of it in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. you know we have a small but active fan base because people who stuck with that show loved it and love those characters and I have heard rumours and I don't know where I heard this from I don't know how I heard it I just remember nearly losing my mind when I heard the news that Fitz and Simmons were going to appear in something I can't even remember what it was I just remember someone posting some rumour about how Fitz and Simmons might appear in I can't even remember yeah i'm just so excited for the possibilities and i feel like they're not going to just disregard you know they brought back abomination for goodness sake if they can bring back something from 2008 i feel like they can bring back they can find some way particularly with the fact that they're bringing in all the multiverse stuff i feel like they don't have a reason to not do that we're already i mean you talk about loki with all of its different timelines and all of its different infinite universes there is at least one universe in those infinite worlds in which Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is canon.
1: And also what isn't really being reported on because it doesn't fit the narrative for kind of gossip sites is that I can't remember where it was. It may might have been Comic Con but it might not have been so don't quote me on that. But somebody specifically asked Kevin Feige in a very snidey and loaded way about the old TV shows and you know, should they just be written out of history blah blah blah. And this response and paraphrasing was basically I think that you'll find there's millions of devoted fans of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Daredevil and Jessica Jones who disagree with you. Now I don't think that was particularly Particularly singling out those three shows for a reason I think they were just the biggest hits but that to me indicates that he isn't on board with this crazy argument on top of anything else it's kind of having all these previous TV shows is a license to print money yeah and I think now that Agents
0: of S.H.I.E.L.D. is on Disney Plus I'm seeing a lot more people that are watching it and I, you know I am flying the flag for that show as much as I can with everyone I know I mean Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was popular enough to last for seven seasons you know in the brutal world that is American television something running for seven seasons Is a real achievement And you know Daredevil and Jessica Jones Ran for three seasons And I just think If the fans weren't there If the demand wasn't there If the audience wasn't there They would have ended up Like Inhumans And I think the fact That they'll look Inhumans And they'll look at the rest And go okay They were better than we thought Or they'll not I don't think they'll cast them Into the well of history In the same way That they might do With Inhumans Shall we say I'm optimistic Particularly given What we've heard about who. may or may not be showing up in certain films coming out later this year or certain television shows for that matter I'm optimistic and I'll be sad if I'm proved wrong but I'd like to think that our favourite characters from those series aren't quite dead yet Before we finish I've got a couple of things that I was hoping that you as sort of you're the god of Marvel Comics to me I'm going to (laughs) see if you can answer these so going back to Agent Carter and the Red Room in that the Black Widow programme in that is run by Hydra in Black Widow the film it feels like it's run by the Russians or it's run by Ray Winston character who seems to be running it privately now i don't know if there was some sort of line that i missed in the film that explained why because it seemed like there's a scene when they're stealing the floppy disk because it's 1995 they're saying that we stole it from a shield base although it was actually a hydra base and i don't know whether is the black widow program still being run by hydra at that point because that's the only mention of hydra in the film so yeah that was something that I, confused me a little bit
1: well i mean there have been inconsistencies but my understanding is basically it's always been a soviet operation in the comics and i think i'm fairly sure natasha's generation with the first black widows like the first actual ones because melina her mother played by rachel vice in the comics she's actually iron maiden who is quite often assigned to retrieve rogue black widows and it's right. kind of like a generation up from them
0: because i don't think they're called black widows in agent carter i think it was just the red room that they referred to and you know by then they've got the belt with the hourglass logo on it and things like that by the time they get to the present day that was the main thing that confused me and again i was wondering if does that contradict agent carter carter or but then again of all the television shows that may or may not be canon agent carter is probably the one that is the most canon because jarvis shows up in endgame which i actually squealed in the cinema when that happened when jarvis showed up i was the only person in the cinema to actually go oh like yeah
1: well i've got a kind of answer to that as well which is that if we do really need to look into how it started as a hydra thing and became a russian thing or whatever and you know with them stealing the floppy disk from shield now i wonder what has a very, very long flashback storyline to the late 80s explaining how Hydra infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. might be Agents S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> might that not be kind of relevant to all of this? Yeah, maybe they can.
0: I, oh, I wish they, just just like a name drop or something, you know, even if they just put the agents in the back of the end game portal scene or something like that, you know.
1: Hey, if we get the teenage Jasper Sitwell being ridiculous again, I'm happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to rewatch that again. The only other question that I could think of. Of was where is Black Widow's memorial in the post-credits scene because Val mentions that she's allergic to the Midwest so did they put her memorial in Ohio is that where we're supposed to understand that she ended up
1: I'm not sure but did you notice a major scene in Loki was set in Ohio and I was I... thinking Ooh, this is interesting where's this gonna go and they have nothing to do with it I hadn't even thought
0: of that I didn't even clock that and I watched it literally the morning after I went to see Black Widow those are a couple of questions that I wish they'd answered And again, maybe it's the victim of editing and the victim of the pandemic and everything else, like so many of the shows have been so far. Those were the only couple of things that I think we haven't covered yet. Like I say, this film raised a lot of questions that I feel like it didn't entirely answer, but I loved the dynamic between Natasha and Yelena, because it was also, as well as being a sort of send-off for Natasha, it was sort of a handover to Yelena because she is going to be the Black Widow going forward, and she may even get her own film at some point. There's talk of maybe that happening and I love the banter between them as well the sort of the mockery over Natasha's superhero landing where she sticks <laughs> her arm out and waves her hair I love that the MCUs do that you know they're not super serious they know that some of the stuff that superhero films have done in the past is goofy and the, it, you know I love that they're injecting a bit of we know you've seen this a hundred times before so let's make fun of it a bit and then she started doing it herself and she's so disgusted <laughs> that she's actually
1: copying her oh yeah that's all I've got to say really in conclusion is Florence Pugh is brilliant and I confusing. really look forward to seeing her again
0: Florence Pugh is the MVP in this absolutely and I, yeah I, I'm so glad that they've signed her up to come back and it's not a one and done thing
1: okay there's only one thing left me to ask now David if you had the ability to replicate the movements of any superhero what would you use it for
0: I think I would use it to become the next Freddie Mercury get his stage presence and then try and become a singer and realize that I can't sing whatsoever
1: I don't know what to say in response to that David <laughs> thank you and excelsior thanks
0: very much Tim always
1: a pleasure If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details on my book Can't Help Thinking About Me, at timworthington.org.